Thank you, Renee. Good morning, everybody. My name is Stephen. I'm a pastoral apprentice here. Um, I ask you to pray for me today. I might need this stool to sit down and chill. I've been awake all night last night with uh, sick kids. So uh, just pray for me as I preach today. We're talking about Mark 13. And Mark 13 is an incredibly complicated, confusing, and complex text. Uh, I read nine commentaries in preparation for this message, and uh, while some of them agree about some things, most of them agree about most things. Uh, there are issues all, all throughout, uh, and there are complexities within complexities. Um, and just so you know, amongst the whole staff of Church 21, not even all of us agree on everything that's going on here. Um, and so one of the things that I want to talk to you about today are opinions. Opinions can be really weird. You know, opinions are kind of something that every single person has had to deal with in some way at some point in their life and can smell really bad. Onions. I put it in a bag so that it wouldn't stink up my pocket. Onions. Onions can be terrible, right? If you, if you meet somebody who has an onion, it can be an especially uncomfortable experience. It can make your nose burn. It can make your eyes water. It can make you do the, you know, the squeezy face. And sometimes the smell of an onion or an opinion can be so bad and so toxic that you just want to dump water on it to neutralize it, right? Sometimes people are talking and their, their opinions are so stanky, you just want to dump a bucket of water on them in hopes that you'll at least get a break from it, right? Um, opinions, uh, sorry, excuse me, I'm probably going to do that 15 times. Onions are also like opinions in that onions are like what are onions like? Ogres! I'm so glad somebody said it. Yay! Onions are like ogres. You leave them out in the sun, they get little white hairs, they start to smell really bad, but they also have layers. Opinions have layers. What are the layers of opinions? What do you think the layers of an opinion are? Personal preference? Bias? Cultural upbringing? Parental upbringing? socioeconomic status, what you've always heard, what you've always thought, what people you really like think, what people you don't like think, your experiences. All of these things are associated with opinions. But you know what's not associated with opinions? What word? Facts. Thank you. Truth. Truth. So, Everyone repeat after me. So we go into Mark 13. Repeat after me. There are lots of things I don't know. I should stop putting my onions in everyone's faces. Great. Thank you. Because just like onions, you never know when your opinions can make someone cry. Or when they're allergic. Onions make a great addition to soup. My, I, I pretty much use onions and garlic and basically everything that I cook, and it kind of drives my wife crazy, but I think that that's, I just want to eat onions and garlic or like Bustan. But anyway, so listen, we're going to talk about Mark 13, and this passage is shrouded in centuries of the, the history of the church's opinions. I'm going to get into the text for sure, but I want to take more time to talk about all the things that, that we don't know and explore some of those things about this passage beforehand, before we go into it. You know, 
there are some opinions, there are some opinions about this text and about scripture that the church has always for history collectively openly denounced. There are some opinions that um, we deem as not accurate and that we believe and we hold fast to as not accurate. And before I say them, I just want you to know that if you have this opinion, this is not me denouncing you, okay? But here, here are some of those opinions that we, that we don't hold fast to. In preface, C.S. Lewis said about Mark 13, verse 30, he said that it is the most embarrassing verse in all of Scripture. Multiple commentators have also talked about Mark 13.30 as problematic, confusing, and difficult to deal with. And one of the opinions that comes from that is this. Jesus was wrong. This is an opinion that we collectively, openly refute. And that we say, as the church collectively, that we cannot have. We hold fast that Jesus is God and Jesus is perfect and that if there is something about scripture that we don't understand, it is us in our finite, limited consciousness and experiences and understanding preventing us from understanding not the word of God that is flawed. Which brings me to another thing. Uh, Liberal theology often uses as a scapegoat for difficult passages uh, what they say as a that wasn't actually there. That verse was added in later. Or the text is manipulated in some other way. These opinions are especially stanky and problematic because logically, if you can refute any of the Bible, right? If any of the Bible is inaccurate or was added in later or Jesus was wrong about anything, all of it's worthless and we have no hope. So no, absolutely not. We hold and preserve that all of Scripture has been preserved by God himself for all time and is without error. God came down to make himself known to humanity, and he is not so pathetic that he would allow that knowledge of himself to be skewered by the ambitions of evil men or changes over time. And he is not so unconcerned with you or restoring you in a relationship to himself that he would allow something so fundamental like his return to get diluted by history so that you would not have hope. So many things we claim to know about the end Times. And that's what Mark 13 is about. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. So many things we claim to know about the end times. Um, is, there, is there a rapture? Does Mark 13 talk about a rapture? Is there no rapture? He's talking about something else. Have some of these things already happened? Are, are all of these things going to come to pass? Are they completely um, metaphorical? Are they completely literal? Can, can we even use the word completely for all of them? Um, and people get very involved with opinions about, about the end times, right? I'm sure you all know of some cult, right? Or some guy, or like your neighbor, who has told you that he knows the day that Jesus is coming back, Right? Or like Y2K. Or, you know, I even heard once, um, there's this passage in Revelation. I don't know where it is because I don't, 
I have absolutely no idea how they get this, but there's some passage in Revelation that people say um, is about the invention of helicopters. So um, there's that. There's also, there's also, well, the Revelation also talks about like the beast under the sea who's waiting to come for like the, the, the grand finale. Um, and this, is, this beast under the sea is mentioned in cultish or folklore. Uh, who is the prostitute riding on the red dragon? Who's the red dragon? What's the mark of the beast? Right? All, we have all of these questions. And I just want to tell you my opinion about Mark 13, okay? My opinion about Mark 13 is that when Jesus begins and he talks about, he, he, this section, this, this passage is in three sections. What are not the signs? What are the signs? And to be ready for the end of time. And during the period that is the, the passage that is not the signs, I think that those things are cyclical. Like, I think that they have, had, have been happening, are currently happening, and will be happening for all time, until the end. So let's, let's talk about the text. And remember to just relax, right, about all the things that you don't know. So Mark 13, uh, beginning in verse 1. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. They're talking about the temple. And it said that the temple was so beautiful that when the sun hit it, it was blinding. Right? So they thought it was gorgeous. And the temple was so important to Jews. Right, That's where God dwelt behind the curtain so that the high priest could go in to behind the curtain to see God and, um, and uh, talk to God and inquire of God, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Mediate, mediate with God for the sake of the people. The temple is where all of the people gathered collectively in the sanctuary to know and worship God. It's where the sacrifices happened, where they um, were made right with God through the spilling of blood of an animal and all their sins were put on it. And so the temple was very important to them. But Jesus responds, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon the other that will not be thrown down. So Jesus is prophesying the destruction of the temple, which happened already in the past. Verse three, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, When will these things be? And what will the sign be when all these things are about to be accomplished? So they've got Jesus alone. They've got him him privately. They want to talk to him. This is like my daughter, Clara, will always be like, Daddy, I want to tell you a secret. And I'd be like, okay, what? And she'll like make me go into another room. And she'll be like, when the boys aren't looking, can I have chocolate, but not them? And I'm like, that's not a secret. I'll give, I'll give you all chocolate. So the disciples, the disciples are there. I'm going to eat chocolate. None of you can have any. You can have onions. Um, so the disciples are all there, and they, they want to ask him privately, right? They want to get in on the secret knowledge, right? They want to they know what the real picture is, what's actually going to go down, what's actually going to happen. And to this, I would say to you, be wary, of seeking special knowledge. Be wary of trying to connect what you think you know about some passages to other passages so that you can formulate some collective idea 
of all of these things that you justified just then according to your biases and opinions. Be careful of seeking special knowledge. Jesus has made clear to us what he thinks that we should know in Mark 13 and in Revelation and in all of his word. And if he had intended to be more clear about something, he would have been. He would have been. And so Jesus responds to their question, when are all these things going to come to pass? And he says to them, see that no one leads you astray. This is the first thing he says. Be careful and see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. I am, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And they will lead many astray. We know that this has happened for all of history. We know that it's still happening, and we know that it's probably going to continue to happen. That there are going to be people who are false Christs or false prophets or lunatics or cult leaders who are going to say that they are the leader, the end of the world is coming, and if everyone would donate to them or join their club or whatever or drink this thing, that they'll all, they'll all be okay in their special little, their special little boat that's going to escape the flood or whatever. And Jesus is saying, no. No, don't worry about that. This is not a sign of the end of times. These are things that are happened, will happen, and continue to happen. And then he says, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Do not be alarmed about all the things going on on the eastern side of the world. These things must take place. And these things have been happening for all of history. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines, but these are the beginning of birth pains. Romans speaks about how all of creation is groaning in birth pains, getting ready and longingly looking for Jesus to come back. These things are like that. They are birth pains. But be on your guard. More of the section of not signs yet of the end of the world. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you, Christians, over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before me. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand for what you're going to say. For it's not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father is child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There has been Christian persecution. There will be Christian persecution. There is Christian persecution. It happens in different types of forms. Our form that we're currently experiencing is a lot of cultural pressure. But it's certainly not as bad what had happened in the past, right? And it's certainly not as bad as what is going to come. He says, be on your guard, though. And I think that this is a big message of Mark 13 to us. Be on your guard. Be on your guard against 
that cultural pressure. Be on your guard against becoming like the world. Be on your guard from forgetting what it means to follow and know Jesus, to be with him. And be on your guard from becoming just like all those who do not know him. And I want to say this is my favorite verse, one of my favorite verses all of scripture, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We don't know who's going to be saved. And oftentimes we're too quick to judge people because we're so sure about our own righteousness and that's how we judge other people. No, but it says the one who endures to the end will be saved. We don't even know who's truly, who's truly with Jesus, who truly loves Jesus. All we can do is encourage one another, pray for one another, build one another up, and strive to focus on ourselves. Being on guard also means focusing on yourself. In all of these opinions, get this onion out of here, in all of these opinions, here are some things that we should fight about. Here are some things that we can know for certain. The main message of the gospel. And what Jesus says is that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations before the fullness of his return can take place. And we should be on guard to focus on that. This is what the church should fight about and be on guard for and guard. Jesus Christ, son of God, son of man, came to this earth as fully God and fully man. And although in the form of God, he didn't use that power, but he suffered and he was tempted in every way that you have ever been tempted so that he could sympathize with your pain, your hurt, your addictions, your struggles and your sufferings. And although he never sinned and was totally innocent, he was tried unjustly and murdered for you. And when he was murdered for you, it was so that he could willingly be forsaken and damned by God to take all of the consequence and judgment for your sin that you deserve upon yourself because you can't deal with your sin because we do not possess the ability or capacity to even know the difference between right or wrong. He died spiritually and he died physically and he was literally factually knowably resurrected on the third day having fully conquered sin, death, and Satan so that if you just look upon him lifted up on the cross for you because of you and with you and you put your faith in his actions. Things that he did for you that you could never do for yourself, he will simply extend to you a gift of love and grace and forgiveness and you will be united with him for all of eternity and you will be saved. This is what we can know. These are things that we do not budge on. And there are so many other things that can become so involved. And, and I, believe that, I believe that Satan works and our flesh works in a very particular way to fight about other things so that he can make us focused on our petty little arguments and not on telling our friends about the love and the forgiveness and the freedom from sin available to them through the work of Jesus Christ. 
If I ever have to sit down as a pastor with people who are fighting over theological things, I'm going to ask them two questions. One, how's your spiritual health? What's going on? Because obviously, fighting over those things is indicative that you have forgotten the message of the gospel and how it applies to you and what you need to be doing. And two, when's the last time you shared the gospel? This is a message to you, all of you, my friends, who are big theology heads, okay? Proper, right theology always leads to evangelism. And if there is no evangelism as the utmost important consequence of your theology, you've got some messed up theology. Jesus says all these things and he speaks in this apocryphal, is that the word? Apocryphal? Apocryphal literature and all these ways about the end of the times, all all these mysteries, all these things that we can't understand, but those things, those things we can understand. Those things are what we need to be on guard about. Those things are what we need to be focused on. On and the one who endures to the end will be saved. So be faithful, my friends. Endure to the end. Endure faithfully to the end. Do not become ensnared with the things of this world and its temptations. They hate you. They want to destroy you. They want to ruin your life. Have nothing to do with them. Give yourself fully instead to Jesus and the word, and seek him. And for all of you who do not know Jesus in these ways that I'm talking about, he loves you. He demonstrated his love for you and that while you were still sinful and completely broken and separated and all kinds of messed up like I was, that's when he died for you. That's when he said, I love you. And he wants you to come to him so that you can experience freedom and liberation from sin. All right, now, verses 15 through 28. The goodies, the signs. Verse 14. Excuse me. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand, then... Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the house keep not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out. This is not a drill. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So what is the abomination of desolation? That's a, that's a, that's a word, isn't it? That's a term. The abomination of desolation. 
Um, this abomination of desolation is mentioned in Daniel. It's mentioned here in Mark. It's mentioned in Revelation. And I'm pretty sure it's mentioned in another one of the gospel accounts. But whatever this thing is, it will be something that is despicable, disreputable, atrocious, horrendous, and blatantly wicked and evil. And it is going to be, a lot of people think, put up in the temple, the Jewish temple. Um, that's where it says, uh, when it's standing where it ought not to be. So the thing about understanding, um, what's so problematic, even about when we get to the, the part where Jesus says, okay, these are the signs. Uh, this is, this is just one of those things that is still quite shrouded in complications and mystery. Um, there was some guy uh, way back when, after so, sometime, like, I think within a hundred years of Jesus's resurrection and Jesus's life, who set up a statue of Zeus in the Jewish temple and then sacrificed a pig in the Jewish temple. Um, and if you know anything about the Old Testament, don't sacrifice pigs, right? So it was a very, and the Zeus, right, was put in, the, in God's temple, in Yahweh God's temple, right? And so there, there is an opinion that some people think that that was it. That was the abomination of desolation. And that then the great tribulation was all of the early church's persecution, Christian persecution. That's possible. Um, another opinion, another way to look at this is that it has not come yet. And that it will come. Some people hold the opinion that the temple will be rebuilt and that whatever this thing is will be put up in it. And then the great tribulation will begin, okay? There are lots of complications and I'm not even gonna tell you what my opinion is because I, frankly, I just don't think that um, in this position right now that that's how I wanna communicate about this. Because I think that even, even in the end of talking about all this, Jesus finishes in verse 23 and he says, but be on guard, okay? Uh, Charles Spurgeon was an old Englishman, a preacher in England. And he said that a pastor, but I think that this is applicable to all people and all Christians. He said a pastor should have a Bible in his right hand and a newspaper in his left hand. We should know what's going on in the world Okay, we should consider the times. We can't be ignorant or oblivious to the wars that are happening, but we should also compare them with scripture. And in that, relax. Relax. Because the next movement of the text is about something that we know has not happened yet. Jesus coming back. We know Jesus hasn't come back yet, right? We know the final judgment hasn't taken place yet. And listen to this. Just let your heart dwell on this awesome passage. Verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. 
And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. I believe that there are multiple opinions about this, but I will tell you that I find this to be to be future apocryphic language, word I can't say, but also like a beautiful, beautiful passage that will literally come to pass. This is a picture to me of what it will be like when Jesus returns. It will be undeniably evident to all of humanity that is God. In Revelation, it says that the heavens will be opened up like a scroll. So hard to even imagine that. So hard to even imagine that. Them just like peeling back, the stars will fall from heaven. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. And he will gather together his elect, his beloved, his people to himself. That's our hope. And we got to hold on to that. We got to hold on to that. That Jesus is coming back to justify his beloved. To justify the righteous and to punish the wicked. Justice in full form that we cannot describe or comprehend is coming. Put your hope in that. Stop buying more beans and stocking up on silver. Stop being overly concerned about when Jesus is coming back. Do not be alarmed at all the wars that are going on. Be on your guard. And get ready. Tell people about him. And focus on yourself. Focus on yourself. God doesn't need you to focus on others. Verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. Sometimes scripture in the way that it's worded can be a little bit confusing, so I'll translate that. Um, Here's a lesson about a fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. I don't know how much longer time is going to go on. But I know that every day is nearer. And I put my hope in knowing that he will come back for me. I fight temptation to give up on hope and give up on faith. And I entrust myself to understand that there are things that I cannot understand And so I try not to worry about them. I just know that he is coming back and that every day is nearer. Verse 30. I'm going to deal with this um, because I believe that enemies of the church use it to attack the church. It says this, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Like I said earlier, C.S. Lewis, um, who was a Christian, he wrote wonderful books. He knew Jesus, he loved Jesus, and he is now with Jesus. He said, though, that this is the most embarrassing verse in all of Scripture. A lot of people like to use this verse to say that Jesus was wrong. 
multiple commentators um, say in a commentator's way, which is like one paragraph or like two paragraphs, is saying, like, I don't know what to do with this. <sighs> Jesus said to them, it, it appears as though he's talking directly to them, and he says, this generation, this generation, right? He's talking to those four disciples who were there with them. A lot of people hold the opinion that this generation meant them. A lot of people um, have the opinion that this generation is <laughs> inclusive of all of humanity because God is not limited in understanding this generation. Some people have the opinion that God was intentionally mysterious. I, uh, I think that perhaps Jesus wanted to communicate these things for the people he was talking to at the time in a way that they could understand. But his core message was still, be ready and look for the hope that is to come. And then what do we do with when he said, until all these things take place, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. I don't know. I don't, and, and I don't think you can know, frankly. What was he talking about when he said all? What was he talking about when he said these? What was he talking about when he said things? There are a lot of questions to beg. And there are a lot of things to wonder. But remember that sometimes <clears throat> when we don't understand scripture, we should just do our best to simply trust and obey. I think about literature in Psalms where David or the psalmist will be talking to God about all their problems, okay? They'll just be like letting it all out, full expression. Everything is terrible. I'm gonna die. I think my arm is gonna fall off. These people are hunting me. Everything is bad. And there's no clear conversation back from God in some of these psalms. There's no clear answer or response from God. So there's a lot still that the psalmist doesn't know. There's a lot still that we don't understand in our suffering or in our times of trial. But those psalms always end like this. Nevertheless, I will put my trust in you. That's how I want you to be encouraged about all the things in scripture that you don't understand. That's okay. Put your trust in God and relax. Verse 32. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Repeat after me. No one knows. No one knows. Anyone not saying that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you with a chair. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no one knows. So there it is. Oh, another one of the weird interpretations of Revelation I wanted to say about is uh, in Revelation, it talks, this is one of my personal favorites. So in the book of Revelation, it says that um, when we are with him in heaven, when the saints, when the, the, those who love Jesus are with Jesus in heaven, he will give everyone a white stone that no, and something will be written on it that no one except the possessor of that stone will know. I'm not going to know what your stone is going to say. I hope mine doesn't say onions. I don't know what mine is going to say. 
None of you know what your stone is going to say. It literally says, no one will know except those who hold the stone. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard preachers say, quote, but I know what's going to be on that stone. I'm just like, yeah, okay, all right. And that's normally followed by, please send money to, (laughs) and we'll send you a small stone. I don't even know. I don't even know, right? We, We reject this foolishness and we have nothing to do with it. The gospel is not at a price and the knowledge of God is never at a price of money. So, Concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor Jesus. That doesn't mean that Jesus was ignorant, right? Or that he was limited or that he wasn't divine. He just says only the Father knows. And there's a whole, I can't even get into all that. But then what does he say? After no one knows, what does he say? Be on guard and keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. And when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. Keep working. Keep guarding. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep fighting sin. Keep striving to remain holy and not to be conformed to the image of this world, but to be enlightened and renewed by the renewal of your mind, which comes through knowing God in his word, in his word, not special little conversations where you get new secret knowledge. Therefore, stay awake. You don't know when he's coming, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you all, stay awake. So there you go. Mark 13, one of the most complicated passages in all all of scripture. Jesus says, stay awake. Focus on what you can control. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you have revealed yourself to all of humanity, so that you can be known. Thank you, God, that you are not pathetic or so weak or incapacitated or unconcerned that you just are letting us all figure it out. No, you have made yourself known. Jesus, you have come, lived, died, and resurrected so that anyone can know for certainty, with certainty, that freedom from sin is available an eternal life with you where there will be no sickness, shame, sadness, or death is available to all those who simply put their faith in you and trust you for the work that you have done, not of anything that we can do. Praise God, praise you, Lord, that it is not about anything that we can do, but in fact, we can do nothing. Truly, you are amazing. We love you, Lord, and I pray that you will cause this church to stay awake not fight over petty things or theological disputes, but to share the gospel and the hope of your return. In Jesus' name, amen.